Hi there. Today I'm talking with This Naked Mind senior coach, Mike Shannon. You want to tune into this today if you've ever wondered if maybe you were over drinking, if you were ever questioning your relationship with alcohol, or you've got someone that you care about that you wish they were questioning their relationship with alcohol, or maybe you're just curious about, maybe I just drink on the weekends and I'm curious about maybe not drinking at all. And what would that be like? And why would I do that? This is the episode for you. It's very interesting. It's based on a process from This Naked Mind, which I'll tell you about. I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, this is Susie Price, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast. We cover everything related to helping senior leaders and internal and external consultants create high-commitment, low-drama, wake-up-eager workforce. And that's our focus here. We talk about wake-up-eager in every aspect. We talk about it in organizations, and a lot of the work we do is around that. But on the podcast, we also talk about personal and professional development. And in personal development, I often pick things that I'm interested in sharing, hoping that you be interested in sharing them. And of course, it always relates back to how can we have a high-quality life? How can we wake up every morning and feel good about who we are, be clear-minded, be using our full potential? You know, bottom line is we want to help people be all that they can be. Uh, we want to help organizations when they're making decisions about their people, put the right people in the right seats and help coach people and just create a wake-up eager workforce, wake-up eager life. And so that's what we do in this podcast and the work we do every day. And so very happy to have you here and tuning in. This is episode 104, part one. There'll be two parts, and the official title is Dry January for the so- Sober Curious with this Naked Mind coach, Mike Shannon. So we're talking about Dry January. That's when a lot of people after the holidays say, oh, I need to take a little breaky. And that's what we're going to talk about today to get the show notes, the transcript, and all links to all the things that we're going to talk about. Go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash sober curious, and that's all one word pricelessprofessional.com forward slash sober curious, all one word, lowercase. So the process that we're talking about today and this naked mind coach, what is this naked mind? It's a book that I found this naked mind and read the book. They have something called quit lit when people are trying to or examining their relationship with alcohol and that quit lit is information about alcohol. So I didn't even know that was a term, but it is. And the book is called This Naked Mind, Control Alcohol, Find Freedom, Discover Happiness, and Change Your Life. And when you go to their webpage, what I think is interesting is it says over drinking. It doesn't mean you're broken. I want to help you develop a better relationship with alcohol and have fun doing it. And that's what the theme or how this whole conversation feels like today. It's a very open and interesting. And what we cover is Mike who is a senior coach with This Naked Mind, about his career change. He was a research scientist for almost 25 years and made the transition or the change to being the senior coach in this field. We're going to talk about some of the reasons behind drinking and the importance of compassion for self and others through this process, which is a very important component to this. This is not about judging or demonizing alcohol or other people. It's about compassion and understanding. We're going to talk about the impact of alcohol on the body, which was a big surprise to me when I first read This Naked Mind and some other resources that I'm going to share with you. We're going to talk about the power of knowledge, you know, how just understanding this is just helpful um, because it's not what I understood until I read about it. And it really did impact me and help me. And I want others who are looking for insight just to have the information to be able to make their own decisions. But we're going to talk about exploring the benefits of taking a break for the sober curious. We're going to look at resources for sobriety and supporting loved ones. You know, how do we help someone who's over drinking? What are some things we can do? And then we close with talking about embracing failure. You know, take chances. Don't be hard on yourself. Give yourself grace um, and choose positive energy. And you'll see that that exuding from uh, Mike Sheenan, his compassion and his positive energy and, you know, how he's changed his life. And it's just fascinating. 
Let me tell you a little bit about his background. He has been alcohol-free since February 2018. He focuses on one-to-one coaching for anybody who said, hey, my drinking habit has escalated. And it's an important point they make in the Naked Mind book, which is almost no one starts out with less, you know, they start with less alcohol and almost everybody escalates in their alcohol. And you think about that. I mean, I know that that happened for me. So instead of just every once in a while, you'd have a drink, then it's like every time you're cooking a meal, you might have a drink or have a glass of wine. So, but it really happens in the midlife. And Mike shares kind of his story around that. And then in this idea of, hey, I want to regain the power over this. I don't want to have this, you know, be a part of my life so much. So Mike shares his personal experiences. He shares Naked Mind tactics. He helps us people uncover their core beliefs around alcohol and drinking and then provides tools to help challenge and ultimately overcome those beliefs. So his story is, and he talks a little bit about this in the in the discussion, is he was a, a long-term social weekend drinker who saw the, his consumption levels increase significantly. And I've seen that in my life from friends and, and uh, personally. And so he's passionate about the impact drinking can have not just on oneself, but on everyone around them. He lost both of his parents to alcohol-related illnesses, and he believes that a combination of physical activity and mental awareness can help clients discover a previously unexplored trail to freedom from alcohol. And so uh, excellent episode. Like I said, no judgment. There's no one way is the only way here, but certainly very interesting. I can't wait to share it with you. Let's go to the discussion now. All righty, Mike. Thank you for being on the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Appreciate you being here today. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I love our topic. I love what we're starting with, which is talking about your 25 years as a research scientist and then sharing, okay, so why did I make this change? What are my top three reasons that I'm now a senior coach at This, this Naked Mind and you have your own company, Trailblazer Life? Talk a little bit about that and your top three reasons. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, I, I sort of came to this intuitively through my journey around my own personal journey around alcohol, which obviously overlapped my previous uh, career. Uh, and for many, many years, I, you know, like a lot of people kind of snuck up on me as I got older. And, uh, you know, as my kids got older, and I, I didn't need to be around for them as much anymore. I found myself, you know, relying on alcohol a little bit more and drinking a little bit more. And I got to a place in my career where at a stage of, you know, senior level, being financially compensated well, I was doing all the things, but there was, there was just something missing there. And then I decided, then, then I made the change around my alcohol journey and decided to, to stop drinking at that point. And that was, this was in 2018. And I was still working in my other career. And then I, I went through about a year of that process and ultimately decided to, uh, to sort of get into an opportunity came forward with this naked mind to become a certified coach at the time they were doing their first certified certification class. Uh, I joined up for that. And during that process, I was starting, I started this journey of self-discovery, this journey of um, identifying, you know, the reasons why I drank, you know, not just that, not just changing the behavior, but changing the fundamental underlying thoughts and beliefs that led me to that behavior. And it was just eureka moments and, you know, fireworks and all over the place. And so as I went further down the road, it was originally sort of what, you know, as the old term, this side hustle where I was doing it on my weekends and evenings around my full-time work. I got to a place where I was just finding it so much, so fulfilling, like a half an hour call on a Wednesday night was just, it, was just, it set me up for the whole week. And it was just, I was looking forward to it so much. And I just found so much energy into it. And so the primary reason I decided to change careers and move into a coaching position full-time was just, I had this overwhelming desire to pay that forward. This, this feeling of excitement, this feeling of, you know, wow, what's, you know, how, the, how different my life is. There were tangible reasons too. I mean, that flexibility. I mean, I was commuting an hour and a half into my job, into the city. And so, you know, I I did mental math around that. And it gets pretty scary pretty quickly, you know, 15 hours a week, 60 hours a month. That's two and a half days a month I'm spending in my car or on a commuter train, just getting to my job. You extend that over, over a year. That's, you know, that's a full 30 days of a year commuting. <laughs> and wow. and then you expand that, you know, from an hourly point of view, it's like a full month. And then you expand that to uh 25 years. And it's like, yeah, like I'm there were years almost, you know, two years of my life I spent in a car or on a train just getting to work. So that flex that aspect, obviously flexibility, having my own setting my own hours, being my own boss. And then by further extension of that, you know, starting my own company, becoming my own entrepreneur, um, an opportunity to grow and expand those horizons, both professionally. And then, as I mentioned before, personally, like that, that growth that I was seeing in myself, the mindset shifts that I was having around not just alcohol, but around everything, around relationships, around 
just the way I look at the world. And so that, yeah, it, it just sort of manifested through starting my company. And obviously, you know, the, the hesitation I had, I was a scientist. I didn't know how to market or sales, you know, to do market or sales or create a company. And yet I was able to do that. And, and obviously I reached out when needed and asked for help when needed. And uh, and ultimately in September last year, uh, I had an opportunity to actually work to, to move over and become full-time with this naked mind. And so now I've kind of, that's become my full-time work. And I do my one-on-one coaching with my company, Trailblazer Life Coaching on the side as a sort of you know companion to that. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So there's, there were um, intrinsic reasons. It really spoke to you. You had energy around it. There were practical reasons. And it sounds like it was just time. Maybe you stepped into it. And uh, as, as someone who's had her own business, and I started way before I was really ready. This is my 20th year. I can't imagine it any other way, but I can remember when I first jumped in, like, okay, I don't think I really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, those those initial learnings of building a website, building, you know, where yeah. are you going to find where are you going to find your people, right? And how are you going to get access to the people that you can help and identifying who you can best help and and just all of the things. And obviously, you know, the certification process I went through with this naked mind, you know, taught me most, if not all of that. And whenever I needed a, needed help, like I said, I, I I wasn't afraid to go out and ask for it and bring in yeah. um, external people to help me with website website design or with social media tweaking here and there and things. So, yeah. That's awesome. But what, one of the things you mentioned about your journey, and I appreciate that you didn't feel like you needed to go into your entire journey because you're beyond it, right? You know, we can share it and we can talk about it here and I'll be happy for you to share it. But I also like that you are in this place where that's the past and I don't need to like visit all of it to mm-hmm. share who I am today, which is a great place to be. Because I think along the way, sometimes we might feel like we need to talk about it a lot. But one of the things you said is you discovered why you drank. Yeah. And I was curious about if you could pull any of that up, a couple of things about what was it that was the aha about why you drank? Sure. Yeah. And part of it was my early learnings. I grew up in a household where both of my parents both drank. And so when I was a kid and my parents would have a party, I would walk upstairs and everybody would have a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand or a glass of wine or whatever it was. And so I just assumed I inherited that belief that adults drank alcohol. And, you know, there was no, and obviously why would my parents do it if it was harmless, if it was bad for them? And most kids who grew up in that, in an environment like that, they inherit that information. And so moving forward with that, you know, I just continued to reinforce it, even though I had the experiences like a lot of us do of, you know, early drinking of, you know, getting physically sick and having those nights where we're, you know, we say things and do things that we embarrass ourselves. And, you know, all of the counterpoints to the idea that alcohol is the magic elixir for life and helps us socially and does all the things. And we have, we start to build up this pro-con database. And in the early days of our lives, it's very much pro, right? Because socially, society, TVs, commercials. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, right? And again, that goes back yeah. to that mentality. Like my parents did it, so of course, you know, my yeah. parents are my heroes. So of course, I'm going to do it when I get older. I want to, I want to be like my mom and dad until I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And so unwinding those reasons, and some of them are just inherited like that. They're very innocent. Right? It sounds innocent enough at that stage. Yes. Other ones, as we get older, for me, there was a real transition point of just drinking, which was sort of an activity, to drinking for a purpose, drinking for a need, drinking to escape, drinking to run away from things numbing myself to life's hardships when things got hard it's you know and, and once again tv did us a service on this you know the detective you know when he's working on a big case or the doctors at the end of a busy day they all end up in a bar somewhere and commiserating and and you know we learned through those through those examples that that's how you deal with stress and anxiety and tough days and you know fridays and all the things right and mon- or mondays yep. and getting getting through all of the days and so the journey for me which started, uh, I actually read This Naked Mind by Annie Grace around six months into after I'd stopped drinking. And those first, I tell people, those first six months were probably the hardest of my life because I was waking up every morning and just trying to get through the day. And I was, but I was still gathering data. And I was listening to podcasts. And I was reading books and Quitlet, as they call it, and all of the things. But I wasn't, I was, so I was sober slash abstinent, but I wasn't free. And the reason was I had all these underlying thoughts and beliefs that I hadn't addressed yet. So I still believe that alcohol tasted good. I still believe that alcohol made me more fun at parties. I still believe that a party wasn't a party without alcohol. And I still had core beliefs, those really deep rooted beliefs that, you know, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't handsome enough. I wasn't this enough. I wasn't that enough. And those were the ones that I, I when I really started to dive into it, I was addressing those because, you know, something would come up for me. I'd fail at something or something would happen to me that would bring a lot of discomfort to me. And what would I do? My instant re- response was, nope, don't like that. Got to get rid of it. And so I would drink it away. And so 
the process at you know this naked mind of what I do as a coach now is, is dive into those ask those questions around you know why like why did I do that why did I why did I start drinking and sometimes it was innocent like I mentioned just a party is not a party and it's just peer pressure and that sort of thing but but then it sort of trans it started to migrate as I got older into curing my you know what I thought was curing my anxiety but of course it was just putting a band-aid over it and numbing it you know and then asking why am I anxious why am I nervous why am I you know why am I dealing with you know why am I depressed like where is that coming from and then is it really true? And that was the other question. So why and is it true? And just asking those questions around my thoughts and my beliefs, that really unlocked everything for me. Wow. That is so great the way you're articulating all of this. And it, it makes me think too, you know, we have changes in life. And like you said, as you get older, you your kids are gone, career is good, but you know, you're commuting and you're like, I don't love it. And I might have some anxiety around it or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. And like, we moved into a, a beautiful community up in North Georgia. And a lot of people here are retired. I'm never going to retire, but a lot of people up here are retired, but every social event, and this is no judgment or, or I'm not damning alcohol or trying to make people feel guilty about alcohol, but the propensity as people get older, and I think that this naked mind talks about it too. No one ever starts drinking and drinks less. They start right. drinking and they drink more. And it just is a, like an unconscious thing that happens. So like up here, you know, everybody's retired. They have more time on their hands, kind of what you were alluding to, or maybe, you know, they're unsettled because now, I mean, they're not retired, but they're not, you know, their environment has changed. It's like a adult college in some ways in, in every right. event alcohol is like the center we recreate with alcohol. Um, so it just kind of the environment and life and it's just so interesting. And so, and I love that you said, sometimes if I did have anxiety, I was trying to drink it away. Yeah. And instead of doing that, you ask questions about why you're drinking. And then you say, is that really true? And and maybe you say, is it really helping? Which is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, and a lot of those, those questions, you know, is it true? I mean, they, that our natural instinct is going to be, yeah, of course it is. Why, you know, you, you idiot. Like, you know, it's just going to be, we're going to judge ourselves and start asking those questions. Yeah. But when we start to ask them, you know, at, at a compassionate level, like, is it really though? Like, it's something like, and, you know, and this is where, you know, we talk about self-compassion and I mean, that's, that's been a big part of this, you know, self, self-love, self-compassion, self-caring, Yeah. you know, which a lot of people, and Annie Grace calls it kind of the woo-woo thinking. Some people get into that mindset like, oh, here we go. I got to love myself and that sort of thing. But you know, we have an inherent love for ourselves. Like when we're born, we're, we don't, we're not born hating ourselves. And we, we actually have this inherent natural human love for ourselves. And, you know, little kids looking in the mirror. I mean, you can go on YouTube and find all these amazing videos of babies looking at themselves in the mirror for the very first time. And it's like, whoa, I'm awesome. Like, who is that? Right. There's no, it's not like, ugh, gross. Right. There's none of that. It's always this, this awe and wonder. And we lose that along the way. And it gets, and it gets taken out of us really early on, as I mentioned, through these, these life journey, this, these things that we hear and we inherit, for instance, the word I like to use early on. And we just validate and continue to go down. And we have our Google mentality where we go, you know, I'm going to go look for something and I'm just going to emphasize, I'm only going to look for things that validate that. And so, yeah. And, and as we get older, I think that changes. Things that were things that were really cool and exciting to us about like drinking at a party in our twenties is different than drinking in our party in, at a party like you're describing at an older age when we, as we get a little bit older, you know, there's nothing cool about a, in my case, being a 54 year old throwing up on his front lawn. And yet we used to, that used to be a badge of honor in college, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so Which is so kind of, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Jeff and I went to, my husband and I went to a Jason Aldean concert. Some friends invited us. And we don't go to a lot of concerts, you know, local ones that are small. So we don't usually go into Atlanta and go do that. But there were kids on the lawn puking. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so far away from college. So I wasn't judging them. I felt sorry for them. But it also was like it's kind of becomes a rite of passage in some way. It's kind of gotten all all. A badge of honor. Yeah. A badge of honor. Yeah. And it's like it was a lot of people. And then there was a young lady behind us that was drunk to her bones mm-hmm. and you know it's falling all over and it's like oh man she's gonna get home safe you know and i yeah no yeah. i don't want to be approved because when i you know you, that's the other thing you don't want to ever judge people but no. you know we did some of that in college but it was pretty extreme i don't know if it's bigger now or more accepted yeah. now or if it's just the same as it was i don't know no i don't know and I, I think but then the compassion for that i mean i i look at i look at people now through that lens of yeah you know what that's not only have I been there and been that person, but I know how that person feels. And I know, and I know that it's probably something around, you know, there's probably something deeper going on there. It's not just, you know, they're, they're probably escaping, 
right? They're probably trying to get away from something, or maybe there's Caught a up in the environmental you know, and then escaping exactly, to yeah. which we all are yeah. guilty of that. Yes. Yeah. And so that, that compassion and, and obviously external compassion comes from self-compassion, the old adage, you can't give from an empty cup, right? You've got to have your own, you've got to sort of be compassionate about yourself. And, you know, there's an adage, you know, talk to yourself like you would your own best friend. And I really try to do that whenever those voices come up. Cause if, you know, I still, I still have voices that come up to me and they're like, Oh dude, yeah. you've got to do You can't be doing that. Anymore. What are you thinking? You, you know, you dummy, you yeah. know, when somebody comes up, but then we have a saying at this naked mind, which is we do the best we can with the tools we have. And sometimes we just don't have the right tools. That's and right, so, the right you know, tools. and not just us, but having compassion for others. Okay. That, you know, those, those people at that concert, I shouldn't expect them to have yeah. the right tools because they have no reason to have them. Right. Maybe yes, someday they will, right. maybe they'll have that big moment and they'll change, they'll change that, but maybe they won't. And that's okay. They're doing them and I'm doing me. And, and yeah. occasionally we're going to come into conflict in con- at concerts and at places where people get together. But, uh, and by the way, I'm a huge live music fan that you mentioned you haven't been to a lot of concerts and lots of, yeah. I, I've been to almost, um, you know, closing in on 300 since I stopped drinking in 2018. So, wow, um, you love concerts. That's I so very cool. much do. Yeah. And so glad I brought that up. It took me a while to get through the first few, obviously, because I had a real association between alcohol and, uh, and yeah. live music as well as live sports and everything else. And, uh, you know, but once I, once I did, by, I'd say by about 10, I was completely, I realized why I was going to the show, which wasn't to drink and line up in the bathroom line. It was to, to actually see the music and experience the crowd and all the fun things that come with that. And, uh, yeah. So I just tell people that's, that's how I get high now. That's one of my natural highs in, in addition to coaching, of course. That's wonderful. So yeah, so I'm probably, you know, was feeling a little judgy about that. So it's really didn't mean to feel it, but I was so astonished, you know, Mm. because I don't have children either, you know, and that part of my life is a long time ago, you know, I'm almost 60. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a long time ago, I was doing things like that in college. So I was just so astonished that that was everywhere, you know, so but it's interesting now. So compassion, if I was sounding judgy, didn't mean to. <laughs> I think I was. Oh no, we all um, do it. Well, it's it's part know. of our. You know, but recognizing, and again, that's we talk about awareness being the first step. You know, just being aware of where am I, who you know, who am I judging? Why am I judging them? Right? Yeah. Where is that? Where, what's what am I making it mean about them? What am I making it mean about me? Because sometimes we'll judge somebody else, and then we'll judge ourselves for judging them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is I, about I, doing. I, I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, it was just astonishing. And and but yeah. what's happening for you now when you go to concerts? Are you finding when you're not drinking that you're enjoying them more after you got through that home? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think part of it is, you know, ex- the acceptance of, I'm, like I just mentioned, I'm putting myself into an environment where, the, where I'm not going to say those people, that sounds terrible, but where no, there's going to be people that, that there's going to be people that are that are drinking. And, you know, there's, there's going to there's be interactions, people are going to be bumping into you if it's a general admission show or people being loud and obnoxious and things. And if I didn't want that, I'd watch a concert on TV, right? I'd, I'd, well, there you go. I, yeah. I download a live media or I, you know, go rent a live concert video and just sit on my couch quietly and watch it. But no, I want, I actually, part of the you environment that whole is experience. Is that. Yeah. Yeah. And you take the good with the bad. And again, it's, it's for me, it's about yeah. 95% good and maybe 5% bad. And, you know, I can count on one hand the number of bad concert experiences that I would say, oh, that was just a terrible night in those 300. So those odds are pretty good. That's good. And it's great that we should talk about this because it talked about the journey that you had to get really comfortable around being in environments where there's a lot of alcohol yeah. and, and being okay with it. And that that's mm-hmm. a journey, you know, Absolutely, when you're not yeah. and that you can still have fun when you aren't drinking, that alcohol doesn't equal fun. Yeah. That's a big one for a lot of people, obviously. Right. Cause that's, it was for me. Like I go, a party's not a party. Who wants to go to a party if there's no alcohol, right? If, if you're invited, if you're hosting a big, like a big Christmas party, a big holiday party, cause we're coming into that time of the year here around the holiday season, who wants to go to a party and it's like, you know, oh, we're not going to have any, we're not going to have any champagne for New Year's Eve. We're not going to have any, you know, wine at Christmas dinner. It's like, who wants to go to that dinner? It's like, well, I do. Cause I'm not, I'm not going there to drink wine. I can do that on my couch at home, right? I'm going there to see yeah. my family and celebrate the season and all of those things. And, Again, reframing it through that lens of, you know, why am I doing this thing is, is really big. And again, it, it takes some time. It, it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight for me by, all, by any means, but that was one of my non, that was one of my non-negotiables was to say, you know, I've always been a huge live music fan, a big music fan in general, and I wasn't going to let alcohol take that away from me. And so, you know, that was something I was, I had a, a line in the sand and said, nope, not going to let that happen. I'm going and I'm going to have fun. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And then, yeah, so it's interesting that you can have fun and remember that and that it's a journey. 
And it's a journey to get to that. And so much of, you know, we, we our energy is where we last left it. So if the last time I saw my family, we were all together and everybody was, it was kind of a party and we were all having, it could still be a party, but it involved alcohol and drinks with, it, you know, every course and that type of thing. That can be, you have to untangle that as, is a journey. It is. Yeah. But, but it's also part of the, I mean, I, I think biggest part of this for me was just realizing how many places I had alcohol integrated into my life. And a lot of it was subconscious. A lot of it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, there were the obvious ones like parties and, but just sometimes just sitting on the couch and having something beside me. And it was just, it became like an, uh, like a motor, <laughs> like an automatic thing. And, and just, you know, the first few days I was sitting on the couch without a drink when I decided not to take a break. I, you know, I had to have, there was just even just a glass of water there, like eased that a little bit and allowed me to sort of replace that, that aspect of it. Right. Cause there's, there's, there's so much, um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that it becomes integrated into our into our daily routines, um, especially when yes. we're at that stage where we're drinking every day for different and every day is a different reason. You know, as I used to joke, you know, we we drink because we, we drink to commiserate. We drink to celebrate. We drink because it's Tuesday. Right. We had all of the reasons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any excuse to drink. And so we have to yeah. unlock all of those. We have to unwind all of those. And it takes some time. But. You mentioned about the, the fun aspect and, you know, having, and you can have as much fun. I, I would say I have more fun at concerts and sport and things like that now, mostly because I'm not losing battery power as the night goes on. Cause I go to an event and I'm, I'm not, I'm at the same level, if not getting gaining energy as the night goes on. And I know there's people, it's just the lights come up and it's like, Oh, you could, they almost want to go to bed right away. Cause they're so tired. <laughs> Whereas I'm the opposite. I have the adrenaline and all the, you know, the, the, all the other thing going on. And so I would actually argue I have more fun at those events now. Yeah. So we, when we go to cook supper, if every time you cook supper, you have a glass of wine in your hand, you have to uncouple that. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yes. In marketing, you talked about your family and, and we all have circumstances like that and you see it all around us. Marketing makes drinking appear harmless, relaxing and fun, which we, and that there's no consequences. So talk a little bit about, we don't want to demonize alcohol, but what we want to do is explain what it is because that's, that's what this naked mind did for me. When I listened to it, I did it by audible mm-hmm. and I had a family member who was struggling and I was also questioning my relationship with alcohol, you know, cause all these social events and, you know, so it's like, okay, I'm going to listen to it so that, you know, the first pool to take the time to do it was to help my friend that I was worried about. But the yeah. second thing right underneath that is, am I drinking too much? And if you start asking that question, you're probably drinking too much. You know, even right. if it's just on the weekends or it's, you know, one glass every night, you know, it's like, oh, is this really helping me or hurting me? So anyway, when I read this Make It Naked Mind, I was astonished on the truth that gets expressed in regard yeah. to marketing and all of that. So, and when I heard all of that, I was like, okay, I can't unhear this now, but just talk about that, about what we might be unaware of around how alcohol is promoted and, you know, some of the statistics around it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this is, I was going not to demonize it because I find that, you know, some people will go to a place of really making it negative and it's like, and to, to me, this is part of a, we're building up and this isn't the scientist and me coming out, you know, we're building up a database, right? We're building up a database of information, right? And this is where the knowledge, you know, searching for knowledge, yes. gathering, gathering up as much information as, you know, knowledge being power, gathering as much information as we can. Part of it is going to be the reasons that I mentioned before, the thoughts and beliefs and where they come from. Are they, are they is it really true that a party is not a party without alcohol? Well, there's cases in the world where that's obviously not the case but the other part of it is is gathering up the core the facts you know just the facts ma'am type of thing right from the in gathering like the statistics as you mentioned you know we know i mean you don't have to go very far i know up here in canada for example you know the health guidance up here is now you know two drinks per week right that's what they've said that's being like anything above that is risky it's high risk i mean i can't think of a night when i had anything less than two drinks like it was just you know why why would i have just one <laughs> right and so over the course of a week that seems like a really low number but then when you start to dive into obviously some of the i mean i mean there's obviously going to be physical effects of alcohol i guess i can give you a couple of the major examples that yeah. most people may not be aware of but or maybe maybe they are they know that it affects it maybe not how it affects it the first one seeing your brain i mean it slows down your neural pathways it slows down neurotransmissions you know it makes us i don't want to say duller or dumber but it, it does it makes us less you know less responsive it lowers our motor uh, slower reaction time reduced motor function the example it's kind of like you know we have this super highway we have this autobahn right from the german the german super highway we have this highway in our brain of, of neural pathways going along and basically drinking is like putting a big 10 inch drop dumping a snow onto that it wow. slows everything slows everything down right everything has to come to almost to a halt and you know it That's just, a good it just visual. really 
and it, it just really you know takes away a lot of the uh, the capacity to to do things quickly and to respond and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, that's obviously you know that's why you know obviously we don't want to be drinking and driving, right? Because of that, and I sort of keep that in my mind. The idea of you know that 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 snowfall, kind of like driving through a snowstorm all of a sudden, we have to really you know be more visually acute and maybe aware, and yet we're not, right? Because we've, we've numbed ourselves. We obviously you can go from there to the heart. Several several ways that obviously it can impact your heart. I mean, the big the big one that I I didn't really think about, but it makes sense now because my dad actually passed away from heart and stroke disease after being a heavy drinker all of his life. It weakens your heart muscles. It weakens the heart muscles so that your heart doesn't pump as well, um, and so that's going to impact your ability to circulate blood through your system through your, through your body. It's going to cause increase in potential for clotting, increased potential for stroke, that sort of thing. You know, that's why there's that connection between heart disease and, and, and alcohol consumption. Uh, and then the last one, obviously, you know, the liver, the place where, where all of where alcohol goes to get sort of detoxified and to re- be removed. And then in the process of detoxifying alcohol and breaking it down, first of all, the liver kind of becomes, you know, their body goes into an kind of a, you know, red alert, all systems go to the liver, sector G oh, mentality. Wow. Right. Where yeah. it shuts down, it shuts down, you know, you know metabolizing sugar. It shuts, shuts down, you know, all, all of the normal body metabolism and takes on because it needs there's this emergency going on it's like it's like having a fire in your kitchen like all of a sudden it doesn't matter what's going on in other rooms everything goes to the kitchen yeah and so you know in your liver it breaks down um, one of the byproducts is uh, is acetaldehyde of alcohol metabolism and acetaldehyde is actually a carcinogen it actually it actually damages dna it damages cells and the more you drink, obviously, the longer it's going to be in your system and the more potential for that. And if that repair, if that DNA isn't repaired in time, it's going to lead to um, runaway cell growth and, and tumor genesis and cancer. And so, you know, and obviously, in addition to things like the cirrhosis, which can come from the, the tissue damage of that, of that building up in your liver as well. So, again, this is you know, not like scare tactics or anything like that. These are actual things that happen in our bodies. So obviously, when we're younger and we have a, a young liver, a young heart, and a young brain, we're not going to feel that as much, but obviously as we get older and these things build up over time and we have the, the residue of 30 years of drinking building up in these three areas, it's going to play a role and it's going to impact us and um, our health. And, uh, you know, it certainly has for me. I mean, I have, I've, you know, I was diagnosed with fatty liver a few years ago and, you know, my doctor says it's something that can self-correct. And obviously the more I, I mean, not drinking is not certainly not going to hurt it anymore. You know, and as I said, my dad, I have a history of heart disease and my mom died of cancer. I mean, from when she was a drinker as well. So and smoke, I think it was primarily smoking in her case, but you know, I have all of these, I have examples of all of these like really close to me right now. And so, yeah, I mean, the truth is out there as the old X-Files um, used, uh, uh, mantra used to say. Yeah. Yes. You got some good mantras there. Yeah. So that was great. The brain, heart, and liver. And, and, you know, when you see all these, once you read how that's all laid out with um, in the naked mind, and there's another one that I'll put in the show notes, Andrew Huberman's uh, the Huberman lab or the effects of alcohol on the body. And he's very scientific about it, you know, like you were just then and you go, okay, I can't unlisten to this. And, right. uh, you know, it's just, it's just like, wow. And then you, then you look at commercials and you just look how it's everywhere. It's, it's like the you know emperor has no clothes. Now you see. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've used that analogy. I also use the house of cards. You know, once you pull a card, it kind of all starts to come collapsing down. It's just a matter or, you know, putting a hole in a, in a, in a dam, you know, eventually the water is going to start to come through and you can try to pull yeah. it back as long as you want. But, you know, that hole's there now. It's You can't uncreate the hole. You can't unring a bell, as a friend of mine used to say, right? Once you have this information, you can deny it. But what, what happens when you deny it is that you start to build up what we call cognitive dissonance, which is what a yeah. fundamental concept that Annie talks about in this naked mind which is where we know it's bad for us. Yeah, okay, I know about the cancer stuff. I know about this. I know yeah. about that. I know about all these things. But I, it also feels kind of good to get high every now and then and get that, have that feeling, have that buzz. And, and then we start to, you know, all, the, all the, the reasons that we drink, you know, it helps me to numb. It helps me to escape. It helps me to feel, you know, help me to relax. And so what we do with this naked mind is break down. We start to hammer away at those right? To, once again, to create that idea that the emperor has no clothes, because when you remove the counterpoints and you're and at the same time, as you're building up this knowledge and you're hearing all of these things, you know, the scary statistics and everything else, you know, it, it goes to a place where why would I possibly want to do that anymore? And that's right. the freedom aspect, right? That's, that's where we create this life where we don't want to escape from it. And then why do we want to, if we don't need to escape, we're not going to go looking for reasons to escape and we don't need our ladder anymore. And that's, you know, the escape hatch or the escape ladder, right? So yeah, as I said, it's it's once you learn this stuff, you can't unlearn it. You can't unlearn it, and and it's you know in stages. I think about okay, I think about twenty years ago. Was twenty years ago? I, I we were anyway. I I don't think I ever had an alcoholism 
problem. I think I had a alcohol habit because mm-hmm. when I decided to stop it, I could. But then when I was drinking, you know, like you, you'd say, oh, wine is fun. So I'm going to learn about wine because then it'll be like I'm a wine connoisseur. Right. And so then it's like it's it's like, oh, I'm being intellectual, you know, around it. And I can remember like reading about wine books and stuff. And and now and, and as I look back to, to, you know, my younger self 20 years ago, I think, OK, you were having more alcohol than you needed, then, you know, and you were trying to say, OK, it's all OK or making it acceptable through education. And I mean, I just think it's a journey. And and I never I, the reason I like doing this podcast is because we can talk about it bluntly, but I never talk it, about it to people unless they ask. You know, right. why aren't you drinking? And if they ask, I do, because I you don't want to judge and you don't want to think that everybody has their own timing and their own knowing about this. And if somebody had tried to talk to me about drinking less when I didn't want to hear about it, I would have just been offended, right? I mean, I'm sure as a coach, you have to, you know, you absolutely. wait for people to come to you around it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so funny you mentioned that because I was I, I think of myself, I, one of the the big coaching tools I use is actually, you know, how, and, you know, this is part of my, my training through this naked mind was, you know, coming up with your ideal client is basically looking at you in the mirror every morning. So go out and find people that are as close to that as you can. And that's how you're going to connect with people. And, I, and for me, part of that is going back to remembering how I felt, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. And had somebody come up to me and handed me a book and said, Oh, got to read this book. It'll, it's going to save your life. You know, it's, oh, yeah, I would have been like, like, I would have been like, uh, excuse me. For, you know, <laughs> I, I, I probably would. Yeah. I probably would have, it would have been, it would have gone to the bottom of any pile of books I had, right? Because yeah. somebody had told me I had to. I also do, um, I've also done um, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there's uh-huh. a, there's a, it's a way to sort of identify just it's, it's similar. It's similar to sort of some, some of the work that, that I know that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But the, uh, you know, identifying your strengths and your weaknesses and your mindset uh-huh. and just your the way that you, you know, the way that you look at the world. And I came out of that one of one of the example, one of the, the, the tendencies that she has is um, is a rebel. Right. And that was me. One hundred percent. If somebody told me to do something, I would do the exact opposite or I basically I had to come up with it. I had to figure it out for myself, right? I had to be the one to decide it was my, it was, it, then it was my decision. And then it, I'd yeah. be able to do it because I didn't like telling, I didn't like telling myself I had to do something as well. Yeah. And so anybody coming to me and saying, Mike, you need to stop drinking. I'd be like, who are you? And to my wife's credit, and she, she still has a glass of wine every now and then. She's never, she's never had uh, what I would call, you know, a, a, an issue with it per se. But she, to her credit, she didn't like give me an ultimatum. She didn't. She 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 suggested it a few times that maybe you want to think about doing this a little bit differently. But she knew that had she come to me and said, "Mike, you have to stop drinking, or I'm leaving." Yeah, that's the decision that I would have made that I probably would have regretted. <laughs> you know, in that format, just because, just because the <laughs> rebel in you would come out. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like yeah. you can't tell. You know, who are you to tell me, right? And so it's it's interesting that you mentioned that about you know, and again going back to going back to the way we were and thinking about and and to me that just once again comes up to just how life-altering and how different my life is and the way I look at the world is now compared to that person that didn't want to hear it eight, 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. We all, a couple of things that I always try to remind myself of is one, we have our own guidance. We have our own inner, inner knowing that can be revealed at any time. And I don't need to be the sage or the wisdom speaker to it for anyone else, you know? And so if you, if you go outside of that, it, it really does create that tension you're talking about. So interesting. And what is the name of the the system that you mentioned where you were you understood that you were the rebel? I want to put it a link to it. It's Gretchen Rubin. It's the four tendencies. Okay. I think I have heard of that. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. And again, and again, it's, it's another one of these sort of self-identification method. And it helps you to deal, you know, if you're a rebel and you're working with, I think there's a questioner, an enabler, I can't yeah. remember the fourth one is. It's great for work systems, obviously, too. So if you see somebody who's a, a questioner and you're a rebel, then how do you talk to each other? Right. And that sort yeah. of thing. So it's yeah. very similar yeah. to, to what you Very similar to what we're going to talk about with the talent yeah. insights. Yeah. To what is what preferences. So let's talk about we've we've talked about the book, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Um, that you work as a senior coach within that organization. And that's how I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as quit lit, which is, mm-hmm. you know, literature about alcohol. There's a whole, that's a whole genre what I didn't even know about. And the way I found it is I'm big into the Peloton and there was a Peloton sober squad on Facebook. Okay. group, yeah. And so they post things. And then, and, and again, I didn't think 
I don't think I had a problem, but I was drinking more than I needed to. And, you know, in other words, I could quit, but I just didn't know how, you know, how important it was. But my friend had a problem and I really a problem. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch Sober Squad, read these posts on Facebook. And then I learned so much, you know, about, you could see the depth that people would go through or just the people who, you know, were more in the place of, I don't want to drink wine at night or whatever. And you could just see the differences. And that's where I learned about all this quit lit and these different books and uh, this naked mind. And um, anyway, it's just so interesting when you, so if people are listening now and they are sober curious, which is what they talk about on the sober squad, which is a great way to talk about it. Sober. I'm just curious. What would it be like if I didn't drink, you know, share a little bit about this naked mind. They have, you have an alcohol experiment. I know a lot of people do in January, a dry January would be a great time to do that. Just test this out. And then just talk a little bit about other resources that have helped you and the people you work with. Sure, absolutely. And yeah, and, and the key here for me is is, is that the, the key word in sober curious is curious. Get you know, yeah. have that curiosity. Cause you know, a lot of times people will say I'm sober curious and they'll and they'll talk about taking a break, whether it's dry January, whether it's dry July, sober October, whatever, whatever it is, and they'll go into it with the mindset of I'm just not going to drink for 30 days and see what happens. And that's great. Anything that, you know, takes away, away you're going to get some knowledge around, you know, how your body reacts to it, how easy it is for some people, how, how it is, you know, is it, is it a challenge to go 30 days and take a break? And, you know, my wife, for example, you know, she did, we have two sons. So she obviously went through those nine months without drinking. And then while she was breastfeeding them, you know, another few months after that. So she went a year basically in both cases without drinking. So, you know, in her mind, she's like, yeah, I don't know. I can do that anytime, but there's a reason you're doing it at that point, right? When you're doing it for yourself and you're just taking a month off, you know, asking yourself, okay, why am I exploring this first? And so identifying your beliefs we've talked about before, identifying the beliefs and the thoughts around, you know, why am I drinking in the first place? Why, why do I, why do I put this in my body? Because humans generally, you know, we don't do things we don't see a benefit in. And so what's the benefit I see to this and exploring that? What we do at this naked mind, and we're not the, by no means the only ones that do this, but the alcohol experiment that Annie has, which is a free resource. It's available through thisnakedmind.com. Um, it's also available on our this naked mind companion app. What it is, is it's a 30 day program that basically has videos each day that just kind of unlock some of these thoughts and beliefs and ask you to challenge them. And, you know, we give you a methodology. We call it the ACT technique, which is basically awareness, clarity and turnaround, which is basically, as I said, becoming aware of these things, getting some clarity or getting curious around them and then asking, okay, what is there another way? Is is there an alternative to that? And it's breaking them down. And and when you're doing that in at the same time as you're taking this break, so you're not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs for 30 days and kind of checking days off a calendar, because we can all do that. Right. I did that for, as I said, I did that for almost six months, even though I was doing this work behind the scenes before I read The Snake in Mind to sort of, you know, identify, you know, listening to podcasts and things like that. But I kind of felt like I was, I wasn't really putting it into practice. Like I was kind of, you know, watching a movie, watching videos and listening to podcasts, but I wasn't applying anything. The key comes in actually becoming aware of your thoughts, aware of your beliefs around, around alcohol, why you drink. And then, you know, and then asking, okay, is it, as I said before, is it really true? Um, are these things really true? And if, and, you know, do these beliefs really serve me? Is it something that I've inherited that, you know, I've never actually tested myself, you know, empirically? It's just something I've taken on faith since, you know, somebody told me we can't, you know, you know, people who are, you know, uh, people who don't drink are boring. You, know, you don't want to be boring, do you? Right. And it's like, well, is it really boring? Like, is it really true? I mean, go up, go look up the Webster's Dictionary of Boring with synonyms and antonyms and tell me which one of those is after somebody after five or six drinks. You know, spoiler alert, it is the one who drinks, the one, the, the, anti, the antonym, the excited, the excited, vibrant one is not the one. And so once again, if those thoughts serve you, great. If they're, if they're valuable to you, if you, if you don't need to challenge them, but if you're having some questions around them to challenge them. And so the alcohol experiment takes a 30 day, there's a 30 day break, like anything else. We don't call it, we call it an experiment, right? And that's one of the reasons why it obviously resonates with me. Once again, with my science, my, my, this, my inner science yes. geek, Perfect. Right? The, yeah. the science background, but like any experiment, like not every experiment goes according to plan. Taking a 30 day break and then, you know, going seven or eight days into it. And then maybe what we, we call it, we actually call them data points in, in this naked mind world where it's like, you know, you have a, you have a, dry, a night where you drink where you didn't anticipate drinking. To me, every day is a data point. But, you know, if we think about it strictly in that, in that definition, you know, when you're running an experiment in my scientific, you know, you, you, you have, you have an expectation and you have an outcome and, and generally there'll be an alignment. And, you know, but the most valuable information are those outliers. Those are the experiments that, whoa, that went sideways. And you think about, you know, penicillin being discovered because, you know, somebody dripped some, some mucus onto a plate and it's like, whoa, it killed everything, right? And it's kind of realizing that we have this within us. And so, you know, reconvening, coming up with, there's so many accidental discoveries. 
that happened with it because things didn't go as planned. And so that's just that's, so that part of it, the experimental side of it, in addition to, you know, taking advantage of those 30 days to do that is really, really cool. And so, as I mentioned, it's a totally free resource. It's available um, off of the Snake Minds website. We also do live events. I say we being this naked mind, uh, not myself personally, but uh, there are coaches um, that do these three or four of them a year where you can actually get into a group with people and go through it together. So you have like question and answer calls and things like that and do it kind of live um, as well. And there's one coming up in January if people are interested. But that, so that's, that's kind of the, the, this naked mind 30 day, take a break for the sober curious. And it is just for that. I mean, this is, this is dipping your toe in the water. It's just like, yeah, you know what? I wonder what life would be like if I didn't drink for a month. And I did some of this work behind it with the full caveat that as we talked about before, you may learn some things you won't, you won't be able to unlearn. And it may bring up some discomfort about the next time you decide to have a drink in a month's time. If you yeah. do take a month off, right. As opposed to just checking off the boxes, which I did many times. I, I took three or four months of, you know, sober October's, dry January's, whether I was on a medication or whether I was just doing something, taking a you know, curious time in 30 days. But what I found is in the absence of doing it, in the absence of doing this sort of work alongside of it and asking these questions and kind of getting curious about things, I, I actually drink more at the other end of it. I find if I took a month off, I would drink more. Why? Because I didn't have a problem all of a sudden, right? I, I validated that, hey, I can stop anytime I want. I, I was able to days. stop. So yeah, go I, ahead. Yeah, I took, I took yeah. 30 days. Off. I don't have a problem. That guy's got a problem. He couldn't do 30 days. I don't have that problem, right? And all these thoughts came back. And what did that do? Ah, party time. Let's go. And I also circled in big red ink the first day after that 30-day break, as opposed to saying, let's do 30 days and then reevaluate and see where we go from there. And so that's the mentality. That's the mindset that we bring. So the difference is to get you're getting insight. If you do it this way through this, something like the alcohol experiment, yeah. you're getting insights almost like the insights that I was seeing uh, Peloton Sober Squad. Like, oh, my gosh. And because you know, that was real people sharing. It's a very private but very beautiful exchange. And then then getting the knowledge from na- this naked mind. And I just started to understand this world a little bit, not to the level that you do, but I just, you know, so, so the alcohol experiment kind of helps with that a little bit more, would you say? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. And, and with regards to other resources you mentioned, obviously this naked mind is by no means the only, the only place you can find these 30 day type uh, uh, yeah. journeys. Um, obviously there's lots of resources out there, just inf- information, lots of, what's your know, favorite if you uh, were going to I mean, add extra detail? If resources. I was gonna, I mean, for, for me, I find, uh, coming back to what we talked about earlier about like the, the impact of alcohol on the body. Um, I find William Porter, who, who I know has done some, he's, he's, he has a website called Alcohol Explained. Um, he's written two books, Alcohol Explained one and two. And it goes through just from a secondary resource point of view. It gives a, it really sort of supplements what we do and complements what we do from a knowledge point of view. And it's a little, you no, know, a little different. Uh, obviously it's a male perspective as opposed to Annie, who's a female perspective. It kind of complements yeah. it that way. So his he has he has he has Facebook groups and websites and things you can look at there. Laura McCowan's another one. Is another is another. Uh, she wrote a book called "We Are the Luckiest." In addition to another book called uh, "Push Off from Here," those are really good resources as well. She has a group called the Luckiest Club, which is which is a little more AA um, like, where they have daily meetings and it's a little more like that. Um, so for people, because I think she had an AA background and then also has, but it also has this discovery aspect to it. So it's kind of kind of a hybrid of the two. I like to think of it. So there's lots of different opportunities out there and. And there's new ones starting up every day. And so lots of different, uh, you know, things, whether it's online, whether it's like looking at books, um, like I said, reading books, whether it be really important. Another great one is Alcohol Lied to Me by Craig Beck, who's a, an English writer who, um, again, that was one of the ones that I first read that just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's no BS. It's, it's all calling a spade a spade and just kind of getting the information out there, you know, without sugarcoating it. But there's, yeah, lots of, lots of amazing resources out there. That's great. That is great. And when somebody, signs up to work with you, what does that look mm-hmm. like? Well, basically, as I said, in addition to, I, I coach in this Naked Mind programs. So um, we have a program called The Path, which is a one-year program. Um, I coach in some alcohol experiments when when those come around and are opportunistic for me. But I also have one-on-one coaching. And what that is, is basically uh, my own private coaching, Trailblazer Life Coaching, which allows people to, I, and what I like to do is find is meet people where they are. So some people will come to me and I'll work with them at the very beginning of their journey where they're, they're sober curious and they just, and we can, we can do an alcohol experiment together and we can actually take a month and walk through it and do it kind of in lockstep with that. Other people will maybe spend, you know, six months to nine months in a program and they maybe, maybe one of our programs or a different program. And, you know, they're almost there. They feel like they've almost got it, but there's a couple of things that maybe they haven't quite addressed yet. And we can obviously focus on that. And so that's sort of, and again, and using all of the, all of the methodologies and ideas that I, all of the, um, 
the techniques that I mentioned before, you know, challenging your thoughts and beliefs, like, why am I doing this? And is it really true that when I ask myself, okay, why am I doing it? Is that, is, is it true? Has it always been true and explore that? Uh, and so, yeah. And obviously, you know, from a number of sessions and that sort of thing, I obviously, I always, I'm very flexible. I want to do that, but um, right. yeah, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, it, it, I mean, in many ways I have the best of both worlds because I have my one-on-one clientele that I, I work with directly. And I obviously love that. I love drilling down and, and focusing on one person yeah. and, and being able to help that individual eye to eye. And I actually have a mantra that I started when I very started my coaching business. If I can help just one other human being, one person on the face of the earth, feel the way I feel, not just around alcohol, but around life in general right now, then, then I'm done. Then it's all been worth it. And I live that. And, and I go on the mantra that I haven't achieved that yet, even though I, maybe I have, and I could probably find evidence to support both sides of that equation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, living that and realizing that one conversation at a time, right? That one person is going to influence all the people in their area, in their world, right? Their, their families, their coworkers, yes. their friends, their families. Effect. Yep. And it's going to ripple out, right? And and what if that one person that you talk to is not going to say the next Annie Grace or the next William Porter or the next uh, Laura McCown, but if they if they then go off and start another club that help or another group that helps millions of people, you've just that one conversation can balloon yeah. really really quickly. And so, again, that's that's the mindset that I like to use around that. So. So I hope you found Mike as compassionate and interesting as I did. The tracker to get to the show notes is at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash sober curious. And in part two, we're going to continue the discussion. So check it out. You can go to that same place, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash sober curious. And you'll get the show notes and the transcript and the recording. And part two, we're going to talk more about being sober curious and what that looks like and more resources and more tools. I'm also going to share some um, more information that I got from a podcast that I listen to that has a lot of information. I'm going to share a little bit about my journey in in this world of alcohol and what I'm currently doing. So you'll get that at the end of part two. So tune in for that. Uh, again, you can get the show notes and everything at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash sober curious. But if you subscribe to Wake Up Eager Workforce every wherever you get your podcast, just go open up your podcast app and you'll see this latest episode. Our directory of episodes is at wakeupeagerworkforce.com, and we have resources for you there related to stress management. So if you check out, go to the directory, you'll find a page where it has a a stress management podcast, and you'll see some other resources and tools there. And one last note, we'd love for you to give us a review. If you do, we're going to give you a complimentary 24-page report that explains why you do what you do and what you're most interested in. It's a workplace motivators report, uh, 24 pages, and it has have a whole bunch of tools you can use to help debrief it. You can share it with a friend. Easy to leave a review. Just open up your mobile app, launch iPhone or iPad, and then tap the search icon and search for Wake Up Your Workforce. So you're, you're at your uh, Apple's podcast app. Search for our podcast tap our black podcast cover art and then you scroll down to the bottom of that page it'll say write a review and then you rate us and hopefully you'll give us a good review we appreciate that if you would uh, but you want we want you to be candid short and sweet is fine that certainly helps us people know that it's a it's a current podcast and anybody who's looking for this kind of information around waking up eager in their workforce or in their personal and professional life can find us And if you have any comments or questions for me directly, or if I can help you in any way, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. All right. You go have a wake up eager, wonderful day and week, and we'll see you at part two of this uh, podcast. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 